A reading from the book of Mark. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogue and casting out demons. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. There are many things that I will remember about my sister Jody, but today a few memories in particular stand out for me. Like how she was Miss Hemet in 1965, the town where we grew up, or the time when she was a teenager and she and her friend had a private lunch with Elvis Presley while in a coffee shop in Idlewild while he was shooting his movie Kid Galahad there. And I will always remember how fondly she loved singing the old hymns in her small church choir and how she would make and bake desserts for every single family uh, occasion. In fact, that would always be the first thing that she would announce when arriving at some family event. Hi, I made brownies. Or hello, I made an apple pie. Baking for family and friends was a really big part of Jody's identity. When I picked up this gospel text earlier in the week and began to look at it and explore it and wrestle with it and study it, I couldn't help but hope that this gospel passage from the first chapter in Mark would somehow describe what would happen with my sister Jody for about Seven or eight days, my sister Jody lay in a bed in the intensive care unit at Loma Linda Hospital in Murrieta. And just hours, she'd gone there just hours uh, before she was about to get her COVID vaccine. Um, and just before then, she had tested, uh, she had taken the test for the vaccine and the results had come back positive for the coronavirus. And at first, in that first maybe 24 or 36 hours, she didn't show too many symptoms. And although we certainly were worried that she had tested positive during that first day, we still could not have imagined uh, how fast the situation would change, even with our profound awareness of all the trauma and tragedy that has been wrought by this virus. This past Thursday evening, Three days ago, we received a call from her ICU doctor who told us that Jody's situation, her condition, uh, was very poor. And my brother asked the doctor, 
of the many patients that you have treated who have been in similar situations as our sister, how many uh, have survived? And the doctor simply responded, zero. And at that point, the family came together and they made the agonizing, excruciating decision to set aside our hope in exchange for mercy and compassion and to release her from the bonds of this life. And 30 minutes after we had made that decision, she had died. My sister Jody was a deep believer in Jesus and how I had wished that Jesus would somehow had found his way into that ICU room, taken her hand and lifted her up, lifted her up to physical health, lifted her to be physically reunited with her family and her friends, lifted her so that she could once again bake those delicious desserts. But this passage today from Mark with that particular interpretation was not meant for my sister. And because of that, I am compelled to find other levels of meaning today in this passage. In this gospel today, we are still at near the very beginning of Mark. And just like Mark's entire gospel, things feel like they are moving quickly. Today follows the passage from last week where Jesus cast out the demon from the man in the synagogue. And now he finds himself in Simon and Andrew's home, where Simon's mother-in-law is sick with fever. And as many of you know these days, fever isn't always nothing to be, worry about, to be worrying about. In fact, that seems to be one of the primary symptoms that most people infected with the coronavirus share. Jesus enters the house and they tell him about her at once, the author says. There is this sense of urgency. She was bedridden. She was laid low. She was held down, perhaps on the verge of death. She is being prevented from living fully, from participating actively, from serving generously. And Jesus moves quickly. He moves decisively. He hears she's sick. He goes to her. He takes her hand and lifts her up, the scripture says. The Greek word here, agarin, is actually a little bit different than how it's translated. The Greek interlinear Bible translates agarin as to rouse. I like that translation better. Jesus rouses her. Jesus doesn't just gently and tenderly take her hand and lift her up. He rouses her. He disturbs and disrupts her current situation. He nudges and shakes. He agitates and he annoys until her eyes begin to blink open and light and sound starts to come into focus and the new day with all its awesome challenges and wonderful opportunities begins to fill her consciousness. Jesus took her hand and roused her. Some of you knew my dad when he was alive and some of you even know that he was a prankster. And one of the things that he used to love to do when we were growing up involved pots and pans. And whenever, he had, whenever we had friends come over to spend the night at our house, and this uh, scenario would happen all the way through my time in college, whenever we had friends to sleep over at the house, 
my dad would sneak into the room where we were sleeping early in the morning and he would be carrying pots and pans and he would hold the pots and pans over the heads of my friends who until that moment had been sleeping soundly uh, on the floor. And he would then begin to bang these pots and pans loudly, not so much as an alarm clock, uh, but more as a musical celebration of sorts, welcoming them into his home, more uh, of an announcement that breakfast was ready and that he was eager to express and embody hospitality. So get the heck up now. Maybe it's my wonderfully crazy dad who I see reflected in Jesus today. Like my dad, with his pots and pans, Jesus rouses us. When we're down on the ground, when we're laid low, sick and heavy with God knows what, depression, addiction, fear, anxiety, shame, heartbreak, whatever. When we're sick, Jesus comes. When we're low, Jesus reaches for us and starts banging pots and pans. Get up. Jesus tells Peter's mother-in-law, what in the heck are you doing in bed? Don't let your situation, don't let your condition, your history, whatever it is, don't let it keep you down. Don't let it hold you, uh, keep you out. Don't let it hold you back. Get up. Come on. We're on a mission. We need you. I need you, Jesus implores. You have an important role to play. Simon Peter's mother-in-law got up from her condition and the author says she began to serve. Another interesting word when we dive into the Greek, immediately after having been roused from her illness, she goes into hospitality mode, service mode. The verb is diakoneo, the Greek word for serve. And it is the same verb that Jesus uses to describe the essence of his own ministry later in Mark chapter 10. I came to serve, Jesus says, rather than be served. That is what Jesus's ministry and his life were all about. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is not simply a model of an unempowered woman limited by custom and tradition here for, from, for whom serving men is her whole life. Rather, she is the first person in Mark's gospel who exemplifies and embodies true discipleship. She is the first one to put Jesus's revolutionary vision of servant leadership into practice. And with all due respect to our patron saint, Saint Stephen, it is Peter's mother-in-law, her work, which is described which the, with the Greek word diakoneo. She is the first deacon in the Jesus movement, not Stephen. And for the record, it will be women, more women, who will be described later in chapter 15 as having served Jesus well. After Jesus is crucified, Mark writes, there were also there watching women. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph and Salome. These women used to follow Jesus and they served him when he was in Galilee. There's that Greek word for serve again. And there were many other women who had come up from with Jesus to Jerusalem. None of the disciples were there. None of the apostles were there. Just these women. So what do we make of all this? 
Well, as much as I had wanted, as much as I had hoped that my sister Jody might be Peter's mother-in-law in this story as it is traditionally understood and interpreted, I also see much more clearly now and hear more clearly that Jesus was able to cure many of the sick persons brought to him that day, but unfortunately, not all of them. So what can I take away from today's gospel? Well, I think Peter's mother-in-law represents all of us. And I think this story speaks today about how Jesus comes into our lives, whether it's by way of our loved ones or a friend or a situation, whether through scripture or a movie or a beautiful song, whether it's during a crisis from deep gratitude or through God's Holy Spirit, Jesus comes into our lives and rouses us, stirs us, upsets us, energizes us, emboldens us with pots and pans or whatever is necessary. Jesus rouses us not simply for the sake of being awake, not simply for the sake of being healthy, but to serve to encourage, to nourish, to support, to lead, to strengthen ourselves, to strengthen others, to play a role, to do our part in helping to turn this dang world upside down and make it just a little bit better for us all. Amen.